Blog Talk Radio.
This is Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. What? 
kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood rushes through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave. Some go in shock when they first hear the news. Press play and then rewind and review, but the message is clear and it cuts just like the knife. You don't surrender, they take your life. And I remember some movies my mama used to show me. Hold your name. Remember the times when they bought and they sold your free eyes? That's what I told you. That's what I told you.
as your host, Brother Africa. You know how we get started with our party. We're going to first introduce to you our political analysts and panelists for today's program, followed by a discussion on what's going on in your world and the community and the theme discussion. So on that note, let's get started by bringing our political panel analysts for today, Brother Haki who is a representative of the African Awareness Association, and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. Brother Africa, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamafi Mashoki. Currently, I'm with African Awareness. But, Brother Africa, I got to tell you, the, the recent statement that was made by Eric Prince was a very interesting statement that he made when he talked about the recolonization of Africa. I think nobody should be surprised that uh, he's simply echoing the, the, the desires of the ruling elite in terms of desire to recolonize Africa. But in order to effectively understand, you know, some of the reasoning behind such a statement, I thought I'd write briefly about in terms of some of the motivations and the historical considerations that exist in the United society that justify the recolonization of Africa. But in any event, Brother Africa, check this out. Eric Prince, founder of the mercenary group Blackwater, advocates the recolonization of Africa. In order to deconstruct his line of reasoning, the psychohistorical roots of U.S. origins is key. It is instructive to read Franz Fanon's The Wretched of the Earth or Dr. Franz Welsing book, The ISIS Papers, to glance the level of psychopathology inherent in U.S. institutions. In the YouTube clip entitled Pathology of America, Dehumanization, Greed, and Declining Empire, the moderator discusses the inability of U.S. elites to establish harmonious relationships with non-white people and the propensity to dehumanize others in pursuit of unilateral gains. Trade is not seen as reciprocal, but a one-way transaction in which the U.S. elites benefit only. If other nations, specifically people of color, <laughs> are not amenable to exploitation, their countries are ruthlessly uh, attacked militarily or the economy is undermined by multilateral financial institutions like the IMF and the World Bank. Like Prince, implicit in the thinking, in this thinking is a destruction by any means to achieve economic objectives. Now, encompassed in this objective is the right-wing desire to inflict pain on those perceived as blocking U.S. inherent right to take what it wants. Such a, such a strategy is uniquely layered to co-opt or eliminate leaders of other states blocking U.S. interest. Now, in the case of Prince objectives, utilization of similar strategies employed inside the U.S. corroborating its effectiveness internationally. Recent attacks on the African intelligentsia in the, inside the United States have become more prominent, verging the intellect and qualification of powerful Africans have greatly expanded with the assistance of mainstream media. Personal attacks against Dr. Claudine Gay, former Harvard president, and Congresswoman Ilhan Omar have been used specifically to diminish their humanity and in the process paint their very being as delegitimate. If powerful African leaders can be diminished so easily, what does that say for the rank and file Africans? Ostensibly, Prince understands the process of recolonized Africa must involve specific steps. When he says, quote, African leaders are incapable of running their economies, end quote, the intent is to denigrate African leaders, thereby creating the justification for historical revisionism in which imperialism and the impact of multilateral institutions like the IMF and the World Bank are disregarded or simply ignored. More insidious is the weakening of Africa within. 
Since 2001, the start of the global war on terror, the level of terrorism in Africa has grown 100,000%, according to African Center for Strategic Studies. <clears throat> just oppose with, 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 just oppose with, with Prince desire to follow the prescribed path to legitimize recolonization of African starts with the de, excuse me demonization of African leaders, be they corrupt or otherwise, or otherwise. <clears throat> excuse me, let me back up. Excuse me, brother Africa, I got a cold. Recolonization of African starts with the demonization of African leaders, be they corrupt or otherwise, can prove effective. Prince imperative to recolonize Africa is shared by right-wing billionaires under different banners like overpopulation or epidemiological threats. Of course, of course such con con concerns attempt to match the primary motivation of recolonizing Africa. The primary motivation is the decline of pluralism and U.S. hegemony. This concern is both quali quantifiable and resolute. Both Germany and France can attest to the global economic instability, but the econ economic instability of the U.S. economy is unprecedented. Big Bob, Wall Street analyst, analyst, quite candidly stated, quote, the dollar, the dollar is finished as a world reserve currency, end quote. As to why, he provided three reasons. One, outsourcing U.S. manufacturing jobs back in the 70s and the 80s. Two, economic growth of China, and despite U.S. attempts to slow China's growth, have been unsuccessful. And thirdly, de-dollarization, with 26 countries in, in rising, planning on abandoning the dollar for trade. Thus far, 21 countries have abandoned the use of the dollar, and the results have gravely impacted the volume of dollars in circulation throughout the world and the amount of dollars held in central banks throughout the world. According to the IMF, total dollars in circulation is 59%, down from 60% a year ago. Global Central, central Bank holds just 59% of the dollar as reserves, down from 59.4% just three months ago, the lowest level since the last quarter of last year. Certainly, the desperation of Eric Prince and his ilk is probable, but the precariousness of the U.S. economy exceeds global dimensions, filtering down to the nerve centers of the domestic U.S. economy, namely taxes. In the tax-to-GDP ratio, apparently 20% has been declining. In no small part, tax cuts and deductions for billionaires have contributed to a tax system not operating efficiently. Currently, the federal government tax revenue showed a deficit of $80 billion as of last year. This deficit in tax revenues is a result of lower tax lower tax returns, which compels credit card use among any, many individuals who, who need food and shelter. And it also has increased consumerism, which negatively affects the government's ability to bring in revenues and is, and is reflected in the, rev, in, 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 the, in the returns. The most recent tax returns from, from 2,000, 2.6 million filers indicates tax returns average $1,395. 29% lower refunds than last year. The previous year saw refunds averaging in the year 2023 of $3,176, down 3% as well. Apparently, the, the decline in refunds suggests reciprocity is not being applied as it relates to the fairness, or perhaps tax policy in favor of the wealthy is hurting the tax system. In lieu of taxes that contribute to the economy or the GDP, the fact that the percentage of taxes of the nation's GDP fell in 2023 to 16.4%, down from 18.5%, suggests the previous year suggests someone or somebody are not paying their fair share of taxes. Now, now, Prince, as a ruthless capitalist, the urgency of recolonizing Africa in Prince's mind 
is clear given capitalism's decline. However, aside from the economic motivation, this individual's malevolent or racist proclivity is well documented. Prince maintains immigration laws are vital for ranchers on the southern border who are tired of criminal activity and drug smuggling on their land. Interesting statement, given most illegal drugs come through legal ports of entry into the United States. And for more information, read James, Jones, excuse, James Mills' Underground Empire, where crimes and governments embrace or article entitled The Dark Alliance. He told Afghan leaders if they, if they push U.S. government to award Blackwater a contract as mercenaries, Blackwater could operate as the East Indian Company and Viceroy of Afghanistan day-to-day activities. Now, keep in mind, the East Indian Company colonized India, resulting in over 40 million deaths of Indian people in India. Putting his, putting his lunatic ratings aside, he advocated 6,000 of his mercenaries could defeat the Taliban when, while 140,000 U.S. and allied troops could not defeat the Taliban. A clear example of how delusional this individual is and his willingness to sacrifice others to materially benefit. In Iraq, he described Iraqis as barbarians who crawled out the sewers, in other words, roaches, later proclaiming, chanting barbarians, you are sent to liberate. Keep in mind, this clown was paid over $1 billion to destroy one of the oldest civilizations on earth and a war fabricated by imperialism to prevent Saddam Hussein from pursuing economic autonomy in his own country. Now, clearly, Prince epitomized the pathology of U.S. institutions and the rule of the elite. Unencumbered by conscience, their negative impulses can justify any atrocity. African leaders will be well advised to listen to the African spirits of, African spirits of heroes, long transition, and the legacy they left. When these greats intimated, the fight against imperialism will be protracted and sacrifice obligatory. They were right. Eric Prince is warning, and he's, and he's staring Every prince is that one, and he's staring into their faces. So for African leaders, in the words of Sister Empress Chi, what is the plan? The reality is that this, pro- this process to recolonize Africa is an ongoing project, and we have to be very, very clear that if we don't do something in terms of undermining that very process, then we can anticipate in 20, 30 years the recolonization of Africa. And with that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we bring in Brother Robert Moses, who's a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. We would like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism, the father of scientific socialism, during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that for a government, Mao Zedong is his messenger. Women hold up half the sky, therefore I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I believe the struggle is to unite the many to defeat the few. The the overwhelming majority of people have no interest in sexism, racism, and chauvinism, and classism of any sort. Their ultimate interest is in uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and they can do that in a system that is not exploitive. 
if we move towards a new democracy, which is socialism in essence, if we struggle for a new democratic government, we will be struggling for socialism. And so that's why I support the electoral process, because we need to combat anarchy in the government, and uh, and we need to build on a sure foundation. Right now, we need to struggle to 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 implement in words and deeds the the things that we have agreed on legally. And I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Next, we make our transition to Sister Eleanor, who is also a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition and Solidarity Cuba Revolution. And then we bring in Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, the mic is yours. Good evening, Brother Africa, fellow panelists, and to our listening audience in the United States and abroad. I'm Eleanor Johnson. I'm an educator and an environmentalist. I am delighted to be on the show this evening on the 59th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. It is an extraordinarily important date in our history. It's celebrated every year with a march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Thank you, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show this evening. Thank you for your participation, Sister Eleanor. At this point in time, after we move, we're going to take a revolutionary culture break. When we come back, we're going to invite you to come in and join us by dialing in at 323-679-0841. And we're going to have a discussion on what's going on in our world and the community. But in the context of the discussion, we're going to play a particular footage that was um, air on a TikTok this week, which I think have a profound impact on the world and where the world is moving forward when it comes to one claiming an identity. We would like to have a little discussion on that as it relates to what's going on in our world and join us when we return from our Rubbishire Culture Break. We'll be right back. This is Brother Africa, and you are listening to Africa on the Move. Michael. Eles não ligam pra gente.
Truth will set you free. We welcome everyone back to Africa on the Moon on the third day of March 2024. Our topic tonight is Who Rules America Today or They Rule America Today, which you, whichever side or point of view you like to discuss. But before we have that discussion, we're going to make our transition to what's going on in our world, what's going on in your world, and the community. But even before we get to that point, Brother Haki raised the issue earlier on the question of the possibility of the recolonization of Africa. Is it possible for that to take place? Brother Haki, when you raised that issue, a couple of things came to my mind and panelists. I would like to see your general response to that question. Do you think it's possible to recolonize Africa today? Given the fact that out of the so-called typical African nations, you have at least 53 or 52 nations that have nations that have AFRICOM, which means a military base already in, inside their borders. You also have the present phenomena of the so-called African leadership. Over 95% of them, if not more, they're carrying out the policies of the U.S. and Europe. You have their economies totally controlled by their former colonizers. And more importantly, you have this condition of deconcretizing the masses of African people, not only inside of the continent of Africa, but throughout the world. This question of how um, Africans are not learning to their capacity in these educational institutions, whether you're in the U.S. or in Africa, is not something that was just created or was part of the overall development to own, control, and dominate Africa, African people. So looking at all of these phenomena, 
I'm looking at the power of the press, which is totally dominated by the reactionary forces, you know, forces who want to continue to dominate. And it's for Africa and all people go real. The question today is, do you think it's quite possible for that to take place today, for the recolonization of Africa? I'll start back with you, Brother Haki. Your response. You know, Brother Africa, the reason why I, I, I touched on that subject is because, you know, um, the possibilities are immense that, in fact, it will happen, uh, you know, for all the reasons that you alluded to. Certainly one of the things when you start talking about in terms of, you know, AFRICOM, that's no question about it. When you talk about the implementation of AFRICOM, keep in mind, AFRICOM has nothing to do in terms of stability and the safety of Africa. It's there, on, it's there to do the exact opposite. It's there to destabilize African states. And so when we talk about the, the systematic uh, killing of more progressive forces in Africa, or we talk about creating situations to pit people against their governments, against the states, Clearly, these things have a very deleterious impact on terms of overall function of the African state. But that's what precisely what African role is. And keep in mind, when I talked about since the start of the so-called global war on terror, that's been uh, terrorism in Africa has risen 100,000%. Make no mistake about it, this rise in terrorism of 100,000% has nothing to do in terms of, you know, in terms of, you know, indigenous forces in terms of carrying out this terrorism. A lot of this terrorism is facilitated by the West, in particular in terms of stirring up or fomenting, you know, this kind of uh, this kind of confusion in society, and arming those individuals inside the community, inside these those states, who don't necessarily understand the geopolitical complexities in terms of the world that we live in, and so therefore they they're willing dupes in terms of the West to carry out Western policy at the expense of their own people. So clearly, you have to consider that you know AFRICOM is very very devastating due to the interests of, of Africans, and that's no question. That's no getting around that. And certainly one of the things that I admire about uh, Nigeria, Burkina Faso, and Mali is when they kicked out the, 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 the military, they kicked out the French, uh, it's, a, it's a first step. It's, it's only a first step. It's, uh, there's much to be done. Unless all African states are willing to say, okay, enough is enough, okay, all, all these Western states, all these Western uh, military units out of my country, until that happens, the bottom line is Africa remains fragmented which means that those African forces inside Africa are that much more effective given the fact that so much fragility and so much fragment of such a fragmented reality, uh, fragmented reality in terms of what's going on in terms of, in terms of African states. So clearly you, that, is, that is problematic. Now, you talk about the question in terms of corrupt leaders. I mean, Brother Africa, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I don't know what to say. You know what I'm saying? At this point, you know, um, you know, um, you know I, I, at one point, I had a great deal of confidence in, in, in terms of a couple of presidents on the African continent, President Ruto and Pre- President Ardo of Ghana. Uh, President Ruto of Kenya disappointed me. I saw that his discussion around uh, Pan-Africanism and the necessity of Pan-Africanism would actually serve as a catalyst in terms of moving Kenya forward in terms of understanding without Pan-Africanism, Africa would never be free. And that's just the cold, hard reality of it all. Well, I've become somewhat disillusioned because President Ruto has decided not only to send troops to to Haiti and one of the most more, most oppressed nations in the world, but he's totally abandoned any notion in terms of the necessity in terms of Pan Africanism in terms of moving Africa forward. So again, this question of corruption raising his ugly head in terms of impacting African leaders. Now, of course, President Abdul, I had great um, admiration for President Abdul of Ghana. I really thought 
that uh, you know President Ado of Ghana would actually you know in terms would 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 take a stand in terms of being the catalyst to to say to African leaders, listen. Not only do we have to get rid of you know these these Western militaries you know in our lands, but we have to look inwardly. We have to work together in terms of resolving the situation that we're confronted with. Well, to my dismay, uh, President um, Abdo Ado not only allowed the U.S. government to enter his country without being searched, they they can come and go as they please without being searched. Uh, he also canceled the Pan African Conference, and we had a lot of lead, leading uh, uh, speakers. Who, who were scheduled to come to that conference to talk about the importance of Pan-Africanism. Uh, President Abdul canceled all of that. So to my dismay, you know, I, you know, I'm, 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 uh, you know, as much as I try to look at the bright side in terms of things, because it's the key in terms of, you know, just in terms of one's own longevity that you see positive, even when positive is not necessarily there, uh, that has been somewhat sheltered, shattered by uh, President Abdul's uh, cancellation of, of, that particular, of that particular conference. Uh, that conference had the potential in terms of really igniting Africa, putting a fire on the African leaders in terms of, you know, uh, cease and desist with this participation in this, in this Western game of, you know, of, of African exportation and to actually stand up and say in, in, the, in the fight against those, uh, those policies, uh, be they economic, political, or social. Uh, but to my dismay, uh, needless to say, uh, you know, uh, both presidents' actions have contributed greatly in terms, in terms of the rise of the of the Western uh, machinations, uh, or these or called maneuvers, or Western maneuvers in terms of establishing justification to recolonize Africa. Now, Brother Africa, when you allude to the question in terms of the the, uh, the economy, there is no question of the, the economy. One of the things that Gaddafi talked about, Africa cannot be free unless you control your own banks. At the very basis, you have to control your commodities. You have to set your own prices. You cannot allow other states, I don't care who they are, to dictate your prices. Well, to this day, uh, Western states are still dictating Africa's commodities. Not only do they dictate the prices of African commodities, but they determine how much liquidity the ex-banks are capable of carrying. In other words, if banks, if, if African banks don't have a certain amount of liquidity in terms of Western currencies, uh, it, it creates an inability for them in terms of making investments they need in terms of expanding their economies. Uh, so it, it, it essentially becomes, Africa essentially becomes uh, a de facto uh, colony you know, uh, you know, of the Western world, and to the, to the point, to the extent that African leaders are resisting that, that's simply not happening. Uh, you know, when you talk about a situation where you got where ECOWAS, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about in terms of their willingness to military intervene to take on those three states, in particular Nigeria, who left the uh, who left the the, the, the ECOWAS Union, uh, when you think about the potential to do that, then you got to understand that when just in terms of, in terms of the economy. Uh, Nigeria did what it did because it had to, had to, because in order for it to, to thrive economically, it has to divorce itself, you know, from Western economic control. So the mere fact that, that, that ECOWAS and President Tinubu was willing to, to, to sacrifice, you know, their economy in terms of, you know, you know military, you know, uh, a military excursion into Nigeria, you know, to, 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 in essence, colonize another African state, I mean, it's very, very, it's very, very problematic. And so the question in terms of economics, it seems to me, that, you know, if you're willing to sacrifice your economics in terms of the interests of the West by invading another African state, then, you know, that is it's not only problematic, but it's very, very sad. So we got this situation that's, 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 that's happening in Africa in terms of the economic reality, the systemic, the systemic nature in terms of oppression that Africa faces, and an unwillingness of African leaders to say, listen, 
we we have to abandon you know this whole this this, this whole framework this whole Western framework has to be abandoned. The central bank's got to go. Uh, the debt's got to. We're not going to pay it. Um, uh, in terms of establishing uh, commodity prices, we're going to establish monitoring prices. Uh, with that, the establishment of banks in terms of being impossible to establish you know, the commodity prices and to actually have some negotiating power. But that negotiating power has to come from the context of, of African states working in concert uh, you know, to ensure that uh, the West, which is united, uh, cannot summarily divide it and, and impose its will on particular African states. Uh, and lastly, Brother Africa, I think when we talk about the, the infrastructure, I mean, that is key. I mean, the infrastructure is like I say, one of the things, if you don't control your banks, if you control your interest rates on your, uh, in terms of the, your, your monies that you control, if you don't control the value of that currency, uh, those things adversely impact your ability in terms of uh, resurrecting your economy. Uh, in the United States, these people can unilaterally, they can print money out of thin air. They're the only country in the world that can unilaterally do that. In Africa, they can't even print their own currency. When, and all of a sudden they print currency, they go to, they have to, they have to appeal to Western to Western, uh, uh, Western, uh, uh, Western uh, financial institutions like the IMF and World Bank and say, well, listen, we, just, we need a certain minimal currency in terms of meeting our debt obligations. And they would say, okay, well, based upon that, we'll lend you a certain amount of money because you need a certain amount of liquidity in your bank account to facilitate these, uh, to facilitate these, uh, these, uh, these, uh, these uh, investments that are so badly needed you know, in Africa. So clearly, you know, so when we talk about the problem in terms of, in terms of infrastructure, I mean, there is no question you know, Africa is under the gun, and it's a simpler question in terms of what Africans are going to going to going to do. And more importantly, when you talk about uh, the control of Africa's infrastructure, then you can't dismiss the fact that any possibility in terms of creating a solid state it becomes impossible. If you have a situation central in Africa where all the money is at the very very top, uh, and, it's, and it's not only is at the top, but that money at the top is being controlled by Western forces then certainly in terms of those people who are not part of the elite don't have access in terms of being able to, to, to participate actively in the overall economy, uh, which means that in the, the possibility in terms of creating a strong state becomes impossible because all the money is at the top. It's not only the top, but the Western nations then, then turn around to African, uh, African institutions. This is how you're going to allocate those funds in terms of, in terms of investments and, and, and in terms of uh, uh, needed reserves and so forth and so on. So clearly, Brother Africa, you know, all these things that necessitate against Africa's existence. And the only thing we can do is just keep advocating, listen, African leaders, please, please wake the hell up. Because this is very, very serious. This is no game. These people don't have any conscience. They have no sense of right and wrong. For them, it's all about power and control. And African leaders got to fundamentally understand that. If they think for one second that they're morally they're going to somehow convince the West to do that which is right, then think again. Because there's nothing in the Western history which suggests that Western, uh, Western institutions are amenable to uh, uh, moral persuasion. There's not a single incident where you can point to which says that Western institutions are humane in their dealings. It's simply not the case. African leaders must wake up, and it's that simple. And Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Moses, from your perspective, do you see this as a possibility, viable reality that may could happen for Africa to be recolonized? Brother Moses. Are you there, Brother Moses? Okay, let's take our move to 
Sister Eleanor, Sister Eleanor, do you see this as a valuable reality or a possibility for Africa to be recolonized? Your perspective on the recolonization of Africa? No. No, I do not. Can you hear me, Brother Africa? Yes, we can. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Oh, thank you. Uh, I don't think, uh, the question was, do we think it's reasonable? Can you repeat the question about well, colonialization? Do you see that as a possibility or a reality that that can happen? A recolonization of Africa? No. I, uh, um, I, I don't see a recolonization of Africa, but it's very possible that some of the neo-colonial leaders would sell out Africa. Uh, as Brother Haki was talking about the president of Ghana, I realize I've been pronouncing his name correctly, so I'm not even going to attempt it. You know, he it, things were so bright when he was calling together a pan-Africanist conference in Africa, in, in Accra, Ghana, that also included other, uh, uh, the diaspora, so bright. But the next thing you know, he canceled the conference and we see ACRA uh, being a part of the NFL Super Bowl uh, uh, game with a commercial. Now, I don't know how that arose, but uh, I don't think uh, uh, military colonialization, I should state it clearly, I don't think military colonialization is uh, an option for the recolonialization of Africa. I believe that European forces have played a great hand in financing Western, uh, Western nations have spent a great deal in um, funding uh, military groups, uh, often called terrorist groups, or sometimes they call them uh, a number of things, but they have been being funded by Western throughout Africa. The best thing that's happened lately is the strong stance that uh, seven Francophone nations had taken that include uh, Niger, Chad, and uh, Mauritania, and Burkina Faso, and Mali, and, and others. And that was a great step forward. But uh, uh, what they did, in effect, was fired, had the Europeans fire their UN forces, because their UN forces are Africans that are employed by the UN forces. And uh, when they were fired, they now will need another employee employer and hopefully the individual African nations will employ these or uh, draft these soldiers in order to defend their independent independence. That's what we would hope to see. But I don't think a military colonialization is quite possible. I think they've been trying, I think Western forces have been manipulating uh, African independence for decades, um, since the 1960s, really, 
um, and uh, assassination is a tool, and they have many tools undermining the economy, creating social crises, um, economic crises, and uh, financing these militia groups throughout uh, sub-Saharan nations. The only place that remained um, independent for some time until the assassination of their leader was um, Libya. And with the um, assassination of Moab Gaddafi, uh, Libya tumbled, but not only did Libya tumble, but in some ways, because of the aid that it provided for Mali and Chad, uh, those nations had difficulty. And right now, uh, today, as we speak, we see Egypt. Israel and Egypt received the most aid from the United States, for example, and Egypt is refusing to allow aid into Gaza and is currently building a cement wall. Now, according to U.S. law, if you are um, creating a military crisis with the aid money that you're receiving, it's supposed to be cut off, but somehow we haven't cut off the money to Egypt nor to Israel. So uh, it's no telling what could happen politically. But I don't believe there would ever be a land invasion of British troops or U.S. troops uh, into Africa. I don't think uh, the U.S. has enough of a military base. But when he talked about the um, one of the top 10 uh, war machine, uh, the, the, um, the name escapes me. It uses the word black in it not to refer to black people, just a name. Um, those folks are mercenaries for hire. And right now, if the U.S. economy is greatly manipulated by uh, capitalism. You know, it's not any conspiracy. It's just capitalism is deeply embedded in, in, in the nation and the economy. And uh, it's a military state. Um, that's who seems to have a great deal of influence. And um, we saw, we see right now, we have until, I believe, Friday or someday this week to pass, oh, the United States has until Friday or one day this week to pass a budget to keep its government operating. So we really don't know what's happening. And I believe Tuesday, um, Tuesday will determine which direction the U.S. going and, and we'll be able to determine where it stands in terms of its military and its uh, um, behavior towards Africa. Uh, right now, we're so engaged in the Civil War and the Soviet Union until I don't think we can uh, right now, the U.S. is so involved in the military, uh, civil war, the civil war in Russia, so I don't think it can possibly stretch itself any thinner. And uh, we see weapons 
provided by the U.S. to Israel, killing Palestinians every day. So it's very confusing for me. I'm not able really to tell what would happen other than I don't believe that there would be a military invasion to reinstate colonialism. But it could very well be uh, manipulated through its colonial leaders and uh, take some. Yeah. I will give you two minutes at most to ask you one fundamental question. What do you think is the purpose role for the U.S. military to be in these countries, Africa? What Why do I think the U.S. Why I didn't Africa hear you about that. Why Africa Why is it called U.S. Africa? What is your understanding? Um, it's, the, its purpose there is to control U, U.S. financial interests in, the, in, in Africa. So you don't see that as a, as a possibility of using the military force to impose, dominate, and try to recognize nations who don't participate and go along with their agenda? That's too unfeasible to see that from your perspective? See that very well happening, but I don't believe they are, uh, they are strong enough. No problem. No problem. What I'm going to do at this point in time, what I'm going to do at this point in time is going to let Brother Hakeem maybe respond to some of your opposition to his position, and then we'll bring in Brother Anthony, and he's going to give us his position. Do you see it feasible as possible for Africa to be recolonized, looking at all the contradictions that exist today? Brother Hakeem, give you two, two minutes to respond to our no opposition, and then we'll bring in Anthony, and, has, and we have his position. Brother Hakeem, the mic is yours. Yeah, well, Brother Africa, I think that what we have to fundamentally understand is that we're talking about a system. We're talking about global system of imperialism. So we're talking about in the sense, essentially what we're saying is that we're talking about Western countries working in concert. I made this, I made the statement that the United States is the only country in the world that can arbitrarily create currency. It can just create money out of thin air. It doesn't have to be backed by anything. So the mere fact that it can create money out of thin air, uh, budget is not an issue for the United States. It can finance wars from here to kingdom come. We have to fundamentally understand that. More importantly, when we talk about the colonization of Africa, we have to understand that when we talk about the colonization of Africa, colonization is not one, one process. It's a series of processes which includes not only the military, but also social and financial pressures. So when we talk about the colonization of Africa, we talk about these intimate processes that come to bear that has a devastating impact on the overall function of African states. And in that regard, we understand that there's nothing fantastical about that. There's nothing difficult to, to understand about that. That just seems to me like common, kind of common sense. Uh, so the mere fact that uh, when, 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 when African leaders acquiesce, when they participate in their own oppression, then certainly we can anticipate that nothing good is going to come out of that. When African leaders participate in economic, political, and social policy, which is a benefit to the West, then what, you, what we're saying is that African leaders are, in essence, uh, the, the, not only humanizing, but diminishing or impoverishing, impoverishing their own people. When they do those things, we've got to understand that that is a benefit to the West. And so when it comes to colonization, it becomes much, much more easier, easier if you've got a people who are debilitated, if you've got a people who are down and out, who are oppressed, who are suffering. It's much easier to recolonize such a people. I don't think that's very yeah. difficult, to com- to, difficult to comprehend. But I'll close with that, Brother Africa. I only got two minutes, and I'll conclude with that. Thank you, Brother 
Brother Haki, we bring you Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, we'd like to have your response to the discussion on the possibilities of Africa being recolonized um, by the West. Given the present conditions and contradictions that exist today in this world, understanding the history of Europe and its relationship to Africa, what is your what is your thoughts on that particular possibility, Brother Anthony? It's a very Africa. real possibility uh, that Africa be, uh, uh, you know, uh, could be recolonized in the present state that it's in. And uh, uh, let's see, uh, Africa has uh, has so far failed to unify its uh, fifty-four. uh, political governments into a single entity, which would uh, make it stronger uh, and able to resist the forces of imperialism. And uh, this uh, this has dire implications for the masses of African people, which is why uh, there's so much suffering in Africa to this day, and that uh, African youth are fleeing Africa uh, to these imperialist metropoles uh, for that reason, in search of a better way of life. And uh, and uh, one, one thing uh, you know is lacking is the understanding that. Uh, that if they stayed in Africa and tried to develop Africa's resources to their interests, uh, it uh, it, it would be better off in the long run for them. But a lot of people are looking for short-term gain. And, uh, you know, that's why... um, uh, things look so bleak in Africa today. Thank you, Brother Anthony. You're listening to Africa on the Moon. What we're going to do is take a quick revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we will continue, and we will make this transition to what's going on in your world and the community. We're going to have a discussion on this whole question of power, this question of how you identify a nation, and the question of can you just make the people disappear based upon your desire. This discussion is coming up. Please join us by dialing 323-679-0841. This is Brother Africa, and you're listening to Africa on the Move. Lola. She lives in 
Organize yourself, African crew. Let's get organized, Africans, and free a one unified socialist Africa so all Africans can be free. So we'll be in a position to make our proper contribution to free up all the humanity from the various forms of oppression. We welcome you back on the third day of March 2024 to Africa on the Moon. We're discussing at this point in time as we make our transition to what's going on in your world and the community. With my political panelists and analysts, I want y'all to give this some thought before you respond. But recently this past week, there is some information out there on on, uh, media, world media, different devices, where they're talking about that Canada is removing the word Palestine from legal documents. No country of origin must be selected for people from Palestine. Let's think about the implications and what is going on as this country takes place. Again, Canada is removing the word Palestine from legal documents. No country of origin must be selected for people from Palestine. And here's a young lady who's giving a report on this phenomenon. Listen in and let's have this discussion. Canada, you're not allowed to be from Palestine anymore. They're erasing the Palestinian identity. This is my grandma's current Canadian passport. It says she was born in El Bassa, Palestine, but it expires this month and she's trying to get it renewed. According to the government of Canada, on her new passport, Palestine has to be removed and replaced with no country of birth. When you try to renew your passport in Canada, Palestine is not an option for a country in the drop-down list. Imagine being 90 years old and having your actual place of birth just erased from your identity. This is cultural genocide. Please make sure as many people see this as possible so the government of Canada has to change this policy. Now, we're not going to do it this Canada, one time, you're not so this one more time. To be from Palestine anymore. They're erasing the Palestinian identity. This is my grandma's current Canadian passport. It says she was born in El Bassa, Palestine, but it expires this month and she's trying to get it renewed. According to the government of Canada, on her new passport, Palestine has to be removed and replaced with no country of birth. When you try to renew your passport in Canada, Palestine is not an option for a country in the drop down list. Imagine being nine. 90 years old and having your actual place of birth just erased from your identity. This is cultural genocide. Please make sure as many people see this as possible so the government of Canada has to change this policy. They say in law school, if you had the power to define, then you also had the power to um, control. Be who would define you, control you. Panelists, you heard this particular clipping on coming up in this 2025 in legal documents, they are no longer acknowledged the word Palestine, so therefore there are no such thing as Palestinian people. What is the large implication, not only for the Palestinian people, but people in general, if countries are allowed to get away with this sense of um, injustice? we start out with you, Brother Haki, your response to this. Well, I think I think the system is absolutely correct. We can't exclude the the, 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 the problem of, of cultural genocide. I mean, the reality is that 
you know, this Palestine existed for a very long period of time. And for someone, for Canada to summarily dismiss or to tell the world that uh, the state of Palestine never existed is not only a historical, but it's an outright lie and distortion. Uh, but clearly, the most broader implications, I think, is that, you know, when, when you talk about the power to do something like that, uh, then certainly uh, it, it, it gives uh, gives the entity the power to commit mass atrocities against alleged those people who uh, quote unquote who don't who do not exist. And certainly, when you talk about is you talk about the Zionist uh, uh, onslaught against the Palestinians, certainly with the elimination of, of the Palestinians as a people, as a as a uh, nationality, then certainly you create the justification in terms of not only the you know. Um, Literally uh, killing, you know, killing off large groups of, of, of Palestinian people, but you give it some type, some type of legitimacy in the sense that uh, they don't exist in the first place. So that is crazy. That is totally crazy. So for me, it seems to me that the world, the world got to fundamentally understand, you know, the, the imbalance in terms of power that exists in the world. Uh, you know, global South has to fundamentally understand that you know these, these petty arguments or petty disagreements that exist among the global South have to come to an end. Because the global South have to fundamentally understand that we're in this together. So you have these Western states essentially opposing their will because the global South is so fragmented and disorganized. Well, the global South better wake, better wake up in terms of preventing these kinds of things because clearly this kind of ruling is, is creates just occasions for not only uh, the using it against the Palestinian people, but the use it of other people as well. And to simply eliminate uh, people's uh, history and in the process, eliminating people's contributions you know, to the world. Also, clearly, I think the world should be very much concerned about this, and, and, and I agree. Culture genocide is definitely taking place, and there's no way to get around that, and I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, your response to this phenomenon of denying Palestine existence and Palestinian people becoming people with no land, no nation. Your response. Yeah, I, I I agree with the comrade. It's it's definitely cultural genocide, and uh, this has uh, implications because if Canada is able to get get away with this, other countries could do something similar uh, to uh, to uh, to Africans. Or uh, or any other people they have uh, disagreements with, and so I think uh, you know I, I think this should uh, uh, this should be opposed and uh, and severely criticized by all forces uh, for justice, and uh, you know uh, no form of genocide. Uh, uh, should be allowable. And uh, you're talking about the the dissemination of an entire people, and that is uh, that is wrong and unjust. And uh, you know, uh, Martin Luther King pointed out uh, decades ago that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So uh, people have to stand up against this position that Canada has taken. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Still for Eleanor, your response to 
this issue of denying the existence of Palestine. So that was your yoga response. Solidarity with the elders and, and uh, the commentators. Uh, the idea this is just cultural. Yes, cultural. Sister Alamore, can we stop you for something? Can you speak a little closer to your phone? We have a hard time hearing you. Can you start over again, please? Oh, yes. I, I said that this is a form of cultural genocide. I agree with the speaker as well as the my fellow analysts. This is a form of uh, cultural genocide that plays along with the Israeli apartheid and, uh, and Egypt. Uh, Canada sees that there no, feel there will be no repercussions by denying the existence of Palestinians, but it's up to the world to demonstrate that they are economic percussions or denying the reality of Palestine. And uh, that's so essential, um, you know, with, with uh, the starvation and the genocide going on more than ever, Palestine needs to be recognized and the citizens of Palestine, Palestine have to be acknowledged. I've, I, this is, we haven't seen anything this outrageous in the last 40, more than that, I guess, in the last 60 or 70 years, even with the forming and uh, China, for example, um, had uh, Tibet join China and is the province of China, but they still recognize Tibet as uh, Tibetans as a citizen group and as a uh, nation state, as uh, other countries had organized in the past, as a, such as the Soviet, former Soviet Union in 1917. It always recognizes nation states, its republics. But this is uh, extremely uh, racist. And uh, it's extremely imperialistic and hegemonic to ignore a people. But China, but Canada has a history of doing that. It did so so long with its indigenous people. They walk with a soft voice, but they ignore people uh, and deny people with a strong military support. They may not, Canada, Canada denying Palestinian existence. And when there's so many Palestinians in Canada, this, this is uh, uh, cultural chauvinism and uh, it uh, should be uh, some way for international forces to deny Canada uh, the right to deny Palestinian citizenship in Canada and changing their passports would be in effect denying Palestinian citizenship and denying Palestinians a right of existence. We already have the Israelis calling Palestinians Arabs and they are not Arabs, they are Palestinians. 
And uh, people need to stop accepting these narrow nationalist races. Uh, prototyping that we see happening in the world. It's okay. It's it's important that people maintain their true identity while uniting for common goals. And the Palestinian people have kept this struggle going for 70 years. They don't do it with military force like the Israelis, but they do it with intellectual force. They are our doctors. They become teachers. They become lecturers. They, their children dream of becoming writers and poets and, the, and musicians and scientists. And most of all, they are Palestinians and should remain to be Palestinians. And every nation state on planet Earth recognizes their existence, I believe, except for it now Israel and uh, China, even Israel uh, recognizes them to some extent, but to some, to to some degree. To that, that's all for right now, Brother Africa. Uh, all right, we'll stop you right there. We're going to take Canada one more. We're going to take one more particular item of what's going on here, Will, in the community that can be found on social media. Dealing with the food industry. I want you all to listen to this and give me your response to this reality. So I've been doing some research lately, and it seems that more and more companies are adding bioengineered products to our food. I've been wondering why I haven't been feeling 100%. Let me show you. Campbell's is one of the ones that is a big contributor, Campbell's Soup, and if you look at the label, what's it say? Contains bioengineered food ingredients. Nature Valley contains bioengineered food ingredients. Nabisco Rich Crackers contains bioengineered food ingredients. All of these cereals are the same gravies from different places, all the different stores, contains bioengineered food ingredient, which I find really wild because I didn't think Aldi or Lidl would have things in their store that had that because you know it's not, it's not allowed in Europe. And this one right here, this is my heartbreaker because let me just say it right there, contains bioengineered food ingredients. So if you're not feeling well, if your body's hurting, if your stomachs are upset, if you're having migraines, check your food. might be time to do a cabinet clean-out. So I've been doing some research lately, and it seems that more and more companies are adding bioengineered products to our food. I've been wondering why I haven't been feeling 100%. Let me show you. Campbell's is one of the ones that is a big contributor. Campbell's soup. And if you look at the label, 
What's it say? Contains bioengineered food ingredients. Nature Valley. Contains bioengineered food ingredients. Nabisco Rich Crackers. Contains bioengineered food ingredients. All of these cereals are the same. Gravies from different places, all the different stores. Contains bioengineered food ingredient, which I find really wild because I didn't think Aldi or Lidl would have things in their store that had that because you know it's not it's not allowed in Europe. And this one right here, this is my heartbreaker because I should say it right there contains bioengineered food ingredients. So if you're not feeling well, if your body's hurting, if your stomachs are upset, if you're having migraines, check your food. Might be time to do a cabinet clean out. We welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. We're talking about what's going on in our world and the community. Uh, one of the things I think people need to be aware of, they say you are what you eat. And there seems to be a large segment of our food supply today is bioengineered. It's bioengineered food. And we wonder what kind of impact it's having on our people. One of the things that we are interested in this, in this particular clipping was that a young lady made a statement that this bioengineered food, a lot of it is not allowed in Europe. So why is it being allowed in other places and not in other places? So should that be a concern as we look at what we put in our body and these foods are no longer what you call food, but many times they call it stuff? Your response, Brother Haki, to this issue of bioengineered food, Brother Haki. Yeah, well, you know, you know, bioengineering food is really no surprise. You know, one thing when we talk about in terms of, uh, you know, the Europeans' uh, resistance to impose bioengineering food on its population, uh, it's, it's a stark contrast to what happened in the United States. Of course, the will of the people in the United States is, to, to some extent, uh, doesn't resonate the same as it does in Europe. And, in fact, uh, there is this perception in terms of, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, the United States is somehow a, a composite, you know, of different ethnicities in that in that regard, not the purists of, of 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 human being in that regard. What happens to them is really not that quite not quite important. So that might account for some of the discrepancies in terms of why Europeans refuse to introduce bioengineered food to their population, and the U.S. does. But more importantly, I think there are a couple of factors, Brother Africa, that that contributes to uh, by injuring food in, in American society. I think one of them, of course, is the, the, motivate, the profit motivation. Uh, one of the things we, we ha have to understand that, you know, with the advent of corporate farming, uh, one of the things that, you know, uh, you know, one of the ways in terms of making profit is to reduce the amount of money you pay to farmers and at the same token elevate the, pr the price of uh, agricultural products like seeds and those kind of things you need in terms of growing foods. So this sort of desire to uh, to increase profits, I think, plays a, a big part in terms of motivating companies like Archie Daniel Midland uh, to impose bio, you know, bioengineering because it's simply more profitable. Uh, the impacts on the people is not really not really relevant. Uh, what's more relevant is the pursuit of profits. 
I think also when we talk about corporate, you know, uh, second thing, I think when we talk about corporate, you know, farming, I think one of the things that we have to recognize is that corporate farming is not the most productive way in terms of in terms of farming. In the past, we had family farms, which is much more productive, much more efficient in terms of female population. But of course, uh, family farms were were taxed out of existence simply because uh, the people in Sao Paulo realized, you know, that the uh, monies that were spent on public on, on family farms could be better incorporated in terms of you know large corporate farms in terms of more profit in their pockets. And so in that regard, uh, even though family farms are very efficient in terms of producing food for people uh, and fresh food at that, the mere fact that it's that for those positions of, of power, particularly when you talk about uh, those uh, investment firms, uh, the mere fact that, uh, you know, uh, when you invest in family farms uh, and you got so many of them feeding the mass of the people, it, it sort of curtails profits. And you certainly what they don't want to do is curtail profits because it's all about profits. But, you know, lastly, Brother Africa, I think, you know, you know, one of the things in America which is very, very unique, there's been a long, hard battle, and, and it hasn't we haven't succeeded yet. But it, this question around nutritional labels, you know, we've been advocating, you know, why can't we have the right to know what we're eating? Well, the corporate, corporations in particular, you know, these uh, places, like, these companies like Archie Daniel Midland, you know, who these bioengineering firms of food, have been very uh, persistent in terms of paying lobbyists huge sums of funds Huge sums of money uh, to make sure that they lobby cap, you know, Congress to make sure that our right to know that what we're eating is not not pertained on the cans. And so we, and so when, you, so when you eat the, so we buy a can of food, you don't know what's in it because they legally they don't have to disclose if in fact it's biologically uh, created. They don't have to disclose that, and they they intentionally did that because they realized that if they disclosed that people understood that what they were eating has questionable nutritional value, then they realize that potential sales will actually probably decrease. And for that, in that regard, uh, they realize that it's in their interest in terms of profits to make damn sure people don't understand that the food that we consume is biologically engineered with relatively no nutritional value. And this does have implications for children in terms of their ability to learn. But again, Brother Africa, until the masses of people realize these issues are front and center, until we realize that these things are real and not a figment of our imagination, until we get to that point, we can never organize to work together to try to fight these kind of things because this stuff is very serious. It's all about profits, and I close with that. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Brother Anthony, your response to this bioengineering food? Yeah, um, I agree with uh, Hakeem. It's about profit, uh, profits. And uh, you know, and uh, and people are being sacrificed for the sake of profits. And um, you know, and uh, this is dangerous. And um, you know, uh, people need to organize against that as well as uh, 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 other contradictions in imperialism that are dangerous for the people. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And I don't know your response to this bioengineering food issue. Sister Eleanor. Okay, I guess you're lost, Sister Eleanor. Yes, I am. 
bioengineered problem. Bioengineered food is a huge problem in the United States. Um, many of the commercial cereals that we are feeding children, for example, are banned in countries like Chile and Italy from advertising. And this bioengineered food is having, an, in my opinion, extremely adverse impact on the health of uh, U.S. citizens, and we have to be very careful. And the person talked about Almi's or talked about that grocery store. Look at first, a person, um, I think it was Maya Angelou or Tony Morris who said, a person will tell you who they are when you meet them. Well, this is a non-union grocery store. And we're a country that depend on your unions for fair wages, decent retirement, health care, and other things that liberal Europeans provide for their workers. We depend on unionization. And they're a non-union shop. So I, I would expect their foods uh, to be not up to par, but this new genetically engineered food has been on the table for some time now because it started with the uh, about 40 years ago when the industrial farms began to copyright the DNA of different seeds. So suddenly farmers who did not keep their own seeds from season to season were forced to buy um, genetically engineered seeds that would not reproduce the following year. So there's a lot going on with industrial farming. Um, remember the United States laws in terms of corporate laws allow there to be a quote corporate person that doesn't exist in many other countries. So that corporate person has the full rights of an individual citizen. Ergo, you see the it's a great place for imperialism, capitalism, is at the base of its political, social structure, ergo, engineered foods. And they are dangerous, as everyone mentioned. They're dangerous. I was eating a product I had been eating for 50 years uh, uh, to make fish soup, and, I, and it was kosher. But also, come to find out, it had um, sodium glutamate, sodium, uh, the GMS in it, and I didn't know that. So there's a lot going on with food, and the labels are getting smaller and smaller, so they're really dangerous to baby boomers. And the reason this type of food can be put in on the market is that they're buying so cheap from the farmers and getting things so cheap, and there's levels of food. The poor eat handouts, the seniors eat boxes of canned food and and loaves and uh, big five-pound packs of cheese. And, you know, our children are dependent on WIC. And there's so many classes of consumption of food products. We can't any longer call them meats and vegetables. As the um, video demonstrated or the tape that uh, we're talking about food products. 
and there's so much that's produced in the market that's just a food product. You look at it, and it virtually has no vegetables, no nothing you recognize uh, that you're consuming. So with these food products and hunger being uh, such an issue in the United States, you will see more and more of these GMOs on the market. They'll be on the sub-market as well on the mainstream market. Because remember what happens to the poor will also happen to the rest of us. Some people used to say whatever happens to the blacks or the Africans in America, the uh, descendants of chattel slavery will also happen to the rest of America. So it is a dangerous proposition, but we've been living with it for some time. At this point in time, what we're going to do, we're going to take a rubbish or culture break. And when we come back, we're going to give our closing remarks today. This is going to be a first power, a two-power series, they rule America. We invite our listening audience to make sure they tune in next week with us on our second part as we discuss this whole question of they rule America or who rules America today. So let's take our station break when we come back and ask our physical panelists and analysts to give us their closing remarks for today's program or one minute or less, please. We'll be right back. This is Brother Africa, and this is Africa on the Move. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by the news, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. Must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through. My journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Hellerino, a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip 
Hear the cries and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. Our theme today is the first part of the two-part series, They Rule America Today. We ask each of our political panel and analysts to make their final thoughts tonight and limit it to one minute. At the same time, we'd like to remind you to join us every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you'd like to share your blessings with us and support this program and radio show, you can do that by sending your donation to Cash App and put dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b, or you can get us at Africa, African Awareness Association 2 at gmail.com. We thank you for all contributions, and of course, we will use this blessing to move, help move our people forward. We need your support. So at this point in time, I'm going back to my political panelists and analysts and remind everyone who listens to our program that these panelists and analysts' thoughts and ideas are totally independent and does not necessarily reflect the ideals, the affiliates, or the members of the organization and this radio station, Africa on the Move. So right now, we bring in 
Sister Eleanor, we ask you for your final thoughts. One minute or less, Sister Eleanor. Thank you, Brother Africa and fellow panelists and uh, to our listening audience. But mainly, thank you, Brother Africa, for having me on the show today. Today is the 59th anniversary of the Selma, Alabama March. People like Dr. James Foreman, who would never be able to hold a job or teach in a, uh, an institution, was to be bitten and water hosed by the dogs. And we see this on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, I believe, every year, once a year in February. And uh, we know what a great price people paid for voting. And now, we find that African-Americans are being deprived of the vote. In Alabama, it is now since 2020 against the law to give someone in a black voting district. They don't call it that, but in a district where black people vote and stand in long lines and freezes weather, even a bottle of water. In addition, we did a, you did a fantastic comparison when you talked about king countries in Africa depend on uh, the CFA, which is um, produced in France by two for the Central West African franc, and then there's also the West African franc. There are only a couple of countries, there are only 14 countries that produce their own currency. Great Britain, Germany, France continue to provide currency. And, um, I don't think it's so much important who provides your currency, but I think it's important when your central bank depends on your former colonizer to produce your currency that this is an atrocity. That I see this comparison, I see the Palestinian struggle and the struggle for liberation and for the African Americans and the struggle in Africa to be a united struggle. Right now, as we talked about the recolonialization of Africa, we can see the genocide, the apartheid of Israel. And it is U.S. backed because they are doing it with U.S. weapons. And Egypt not allowing food into Palestine, and they are on the verge of famine. Speaking up. And now Germany has decided that it's going to deal with the people in the Sahel in Africa. Germany doesn't need to deal with anyone. We need to see the Palestinians liberated, recognize we will continue to recognize Palestine as a nation, and we will continue to struggle for complete decolonialization. Colonialism is not that. We need to really stand in solidarity and support Pan-Africanism and support the elimination of social imperialism. It was a discussion how Canada, as a social 
all the time. So I hope that everyone realizes what an important day this is in African-American history, and everyone is aware of the struggle that the Palestinians are going through and how many tens of thousands of children and women have died since October 7th. This is an atrocity. The Palestinians have no military. Thank you. Thank you. The mic is yours. Yes. Uh, My final thoughts is uh, Africans must be organized. Uh, Our enemy is systemic. And so uh, it can only be defeated through permanent organization. We must organize in order to fight uh, imperialism in its various forms and manifestations. Uh, Let's see, one such organization that's doing this is the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, whose URL is www.a-aprp-gc.org. If you check out our website, you'll find out more about our program, our history, and uh, what we're doing with other revolutionary and progressive organizations to bring about an end to imperialism. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Brother Edwards. Brother Hackey, your final thoughts? It's just a warning. You know, one of the things, um, the... uh, the imperialist powers or the capitalist forces inside the United States are employing increasingly more complex kinds of strategies. I think it's important that, you know, that we stay on top of a lot of these strategies. And one of the things I think we have to do in terms of staying on top of these strategies is that we have to check our biases in terms of our understanding of the world. We all have our biases. But when it comes to hardcore information in terms of analysis, uh, we have to effectively uh, neutralize, uh, uh, you know, our biases because our biases get in the way in terms of truly understanding the uh, the problems uh, associated with, you know, imperialist or capitalist uh, control of governments. I think more imp- also, I think that you know, when we talk about in terms of the kind of absolute control that the capitalists uh, employ, I think that it's incumbent upon those of us, you know, who see who see ourselves in terms of being in, in the vanguard in terms of getting people to realize the nature of the beast. I think it's particularly important that we sharpen our skills in terms of understanding what it is that we're up against, because if we don't fundamentally understand what we're up against, there's no conceivable way for us to, to impart to the masses of people, you know, precisely what the government what the, what the government is doing in any, in any manner that's uh, intricate or complex. So I think, uh, again, we have to check, check our biases and, and, and to acknowledge that if we have these biases, to acknowledge the biases, but more importantly, acknowledge your willingness to move forward in terms of despite the biases, in terms of becoming a student of history, a student of political science, to more effectively understand the system and how it operates. And with that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. And the same back at you, Brother Hockey. We hope our listening audience have a good night, and thank everyone for allowing us to come to home this evening where we can speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. We're also asking for our supporters and listeners to help us spread the word about Africa on the Move. 
It comes on every Sunday evening from 7, from 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, if you'd like to have a copy of this show or others, please email us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. We welcome all feedback and criticism. Again, what we attempt to do is give you information so you can think and also to raise issues and perspectives that are not raised in the so-called major media. This is uh, one of our roles that we seek to play, and we invite you to come and help us to do it. So you can do this very simply by either going online, listening to us, or you can call in at 323-679-0841 on a weekly basis on Sunday and be a participant. This program is under the banner of the African Wedding Association. And like always, we describe to go forward back with Neville. This is part one of a two-part series, Debut After the Day. We'll see you next week, and we'll leave you with some music or inspiration. Is Africa on the move. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer. To give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race, and creed we need a new beginning let us plant the seed plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine Palestine needs her freedom Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, 
Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine. needs our love. Thank you.
Africa is where 